Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive & June. Olive & June gives you Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey guys, it's Candice. And Kayla, and we are directionally challenged. Oh yeah, we thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we're in our 30s. But surprise, we don't. No, we don't. But that's okay. <laughs> it is okay. And you know what, Candace, you and I have been through so many things together in life. A lot of them, including really nice bottles of spirits or wine. And we've made so many memories over the course of our years together. But it's funny because the one thing I really remember about us is we tell stories and the awesome stories that we tell each other and the memories we make. But I've never really thought about what story is behind the bottle we're drinking? Yeah, I mean, I've look, I've I've appreciated whiskey and scotch in my time. I am one of those snobby cocktail people, like unless there's like essence of smoke from a fern that's billowing <laughs> out of it. Like I am I am I love being a snobby cocktail person. Um, just like I like being a snobby wine person, even though I'm not very good at being a snobby wine person. I'm better on the cocktail front. But ever since moving to Tennessee, obviously, you know, one of the main like prides of Tennessee is Tennessee whiskey. 
And uh, so I've been sampling a whole bunch of different kinds. And then I came across Uncle Nearest Whiskey. And and when I looked up more about it, I just became enthralled with this story. Kayla, I shared a little bit about it with you. And we were like, oh, my gosh, we have to talk about this on the podcast. We got to dive right in. I'm so happy you found our guest today, Fawn Weaver. Not only does she have an incredible story, but the spirit that she created has just a phenomenal story behind it, too. You guys, today we are sitting down with Fawn Weaver. She is an American entrepreneur, historian, not to mention a USA Today and New York Times bestselling author. She is currently the CEO of Grant Sydney Inc. and Uncle Nearest Premium Whiskey. She's also the founder of the Nearest Green Foundation and the Nearest Green Legacy Scholarship She's such a phenomenal human. We are so excited for our interview with her. So without further ado, here's our interview with Fawn Weaver. We are not impartial to enjoying a cocktail nope. here as hosts of this podcast. <laughs> uh, we love various spirits. We've actually had an episode talking about wine with a sommelier. And what I think is so beautiful about, you know, specifically even wine, you know, when you get to know a wine, what you do is you get to know the real story of what you're about to drink. You are drinking a story, whether it's the grapes and the region and and where it's from. And I think that um, it's really we think about that when it comes to something like wine. But I think that we forget when it comes to spirits that all spirits have a story as well. And I just we could not be more excited to talk with you, Fawn Weaver, about how you discovered your interest in wanting to start your own spirit company. When you read an article back in 2016 about the origins of whiskey. So can you bring us back to that time and what caught your eye and your heart and your soul about this spirit story? Sure. I think for me, it's a little different than how most people come into the industry. I wasn't looking to start a whiskey brand. I was looking to tell the story of the first known African-American master distiller. And it was a serendipitous nature of me coming to Lynchburg, Tennessee to do the research on a man by the name of Nearest Green and how every person in Lynchburg, for the most part, <laughs> I just simply jumped in and said, we're here to help. It's a story that has always been told in Lynchburg. It's always been known in Lynchburg that Nearest Green was the first master distiller for Jack Daniels, that he was the teacher and the mentor of a young Jack Daniel of an orphaned kid named Jack. And so this wasn't new news to those in Lynchburg. So when I showed up to do the research, it was more like, well, it took y'all long enough. That, that, that was more of the attitude than anything else. You know, it's so great because most people choose to celebrate their 40th birthday with a huge birthday party all about <laughs> them, this huge celebration. You chose to dive into this story. And so you go directly to Lynchburg. You're in the library. You can't find any information. And I love this part of the story because it's such a testament to the benefit of the closeness of small communities. The librarian in the library that you're at calls the oldest relative of Jack Daniels. And can you take us through that part of the story? Absolutely. First of all, I love that you do. You did your in-depth research. You would be shocked at the amount of people I talk to. And I'm like, you're kidding, right? Uh, <laughs> so I do appreciate this. So taking me to the library, we, we could not find anything on Nearest Green in the library except for the official biography of Jack Daniel. It's called Jack Daniel's Legacy. It was written by uh, a, a journalist by the name of Ben Green from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. 
And in 1965, he goes from Alabama to Lynchburg to interview all of those who were alive who personally knew Jack. So that means his nephew and his great nephews who were now running the distillery, it had been passed down to them. And it included all those who were alive that either worked for Jack, were friends of Jack. Remember, Jack died actually relatively early. And so you still had a lot of people living who knew him personally. As a matter of fact, Nearest's uh, granddaughter was still alive when I showed up. I interviewed her at the age of 106. Jack's eldest descendant uh, was still alive then, Miss Mary Vaughn. She's actually the person who identified all of Nearest's grandchildren uh, out of a photo. So it, it was interesting because Nearest's relatives did not know the names. They just knew these are all of Nearest's grandkids, but they didn't know all the names. And I showed the photo to Miss Mary Vaughn who was Jack's great niece. And she said, that's cousin Jesse, that's cousin Ott. That's like, literally, she's the one who identified them for us. And so it was a, a very fortunate thing that when I arrived here, you still had a lot of people over a hundred still living. <laughs> and, and so these are the people who were interviewed when this, this man came up, not them, but you know, their parents that were interviewed when uh, ben Green came to write this biography. And the thing that's interesting is you have to remember 1967, height of the civil rights era, a white reporter from Tuscaloosa does not need to include the name of a black man and especially the names of his sons. And so you have Nears Green and his boys in Jack's biography mentioned from almost the very beginning and throughout the biography. So when I began to count how many times Nears's family was mentioned relative to Jack's own family, Nears's family was mentioned more times. And that was extraordinary to me. Now, I know that currently Jack Daniels has wanted to include nearest screen's story um, more prominently within the history of the Jack Daniels distillery. Um, but at the time when this book came out, was this kind of the first kind of push? Has this all just been a little bit more recent? Have you felt that there's been acknowledgement more through the broader company as opposed to just the storytelling within the small town of Lynchburg? So let me finish what Kayla's original question, because I don't even think I got to that. So I apologize for that. I was giving just sort of the background of the only book that was in the library. And I was looking for more, couldn't find it. So I asked the assistant librarian if she could help. And she starts looking and she knew the story of Nears Green. She got so excited when we said what we were there for. And she says, oh my gosh, I remember seeing this. I posted it on Facebook. And so she went to go look and she was pretty floored that there was nothing. And so she called the librarian, the director, who pointed her to one, one little binder, which was the history of Hickory Hill Baptist Church. And for whatever reason, in their history, they decided to share the story of Nearest Green and Jack wow. Daniel. <laughs> and beyond that, there was nothing. And so the director calls the eldest descendant of, of Jack. And understandably, you have to remember, go back to 2016 when this story first came out in the New York Times. The headline was, Jack Daniel embraces a hidden ingredient, help from a slave. So you have a African-American woman who, even though I've always been an entrepreneur, if you looked at my profile online, the only thing you would have seen at that time is I was a New York Times bestselling author, USA Today bestselling author. So I am there from Los Angeles. My husband is an executive vice president for Sony Pictures, is in the library with me. 
everyone in town knew we were coming because it's such a small town that the VRBO rental we did, that person told the whole town that there was this New York Times bestselling author and her Sony Pictures husband coming to town. And so it wasn't like it was new news we were there. What they were discovering is why we were there. And by the time we had arrived, that article came out at the end of June, and this is 2016. We were there September 1st of the same year. And by the time we had gotten there, social media and a lot of really bad press had taken the story and added to it what the New York Times did not say. They came to their own conclusion that Jack Daniel was a slave owner, that he stole the recipe and he hid the slave. That was their narrative. And so all over the internet, Jack's family was being drugged through the mud. Now you've got this black couple from LA coming to Lynchburg, Tennessee. The last thing you're thinking is they're there to give you a fair shake. So I understood her getting that call <laughs> and her showing up. And she walks to the door. I immediately know she's someone important because number one, we're in Lynchburg. And that morning we arrived at about 7 a.m. The entire town is in, I'm not kidding you, it's all white men in camouflage. This is not a joke. It looked like a, a store. It would look like it was out of a movie, some scene. It just so happens that it was dove hunting season. It's only two oh. days out of the year. But that's the only people who were walking around town that day. And so Keith and I walked into a restaurant and we looked around and we were like, oh, my God, we're going to die in this town. Like, we're legit going to die in this town. And but so that's that was the context. This woman walks in. She's wearing a black suit with a silk scarf wrapped around her neck. She's got on black heels. Her hair is done. And I'm like, who this don't fit here at all. And so when she walked over to us, she introduced herself as uh, the granddaughter of Lim Motlow. Lim is Jack's nephew who he left the distillery to and who actually took over the distillery four years before Jack died. And she introduces herself and she says, I'll be happy to help you with your research. Now, I looked in her eyes and knew she wasn't happy to help me with my research. But I also understood why. Why would you think that I, as a Black woman, would be there to tell a story any different than what was being told in the news and on, at social media at that time? And so I looked into her eyes and I told her, listen, I write stories on love. And I shared with her after reading Jack's biography and the number of times that Nearest's family was it mentioned and understanding this book came out in 67. You had the Detroit riots. You had the Ku Klux Klan started right down the road in Pulaski, Tennessee, and they were reemerging in the area. Just the next year in, in Memphis is when um, MLK is assassinated. So this is not a good time for Black people in America. And you most certainly would not have credited a Black person just on GP. And so what it said to me is her family, which was Jack's family, had put such an emphasis on Nearest and his importance and the importance of his boys that took over for him at Jack Daniel Distillery that they were put in that book that many times. So I had concluded while I was still living in LA, this is a story of love, honor, and respect. That is what I was searching for for my 40th birthday. And when I looked at her and I shared with her, that's what I thought it was. I said, I will tell you this. I am not here to harm your family's legacy. If I do the research and I find that Jack is not who I believe him to be, someone will absolutely come here 
and they will do the same research and that story will come out. Nothing that happens in the dark stays in the dark. It always comes to light. I said, but you have my word. It will not be told by me. I am here because I believe this is a story of love, honor, and respect. And I only write books on that topic. And she said, in that case, I do want to help you. And she pulled out her cell phone and gave me the number of nearest Green's descendants. They grew up together. They still ate together. They still hung out together. They still talked on the phone. They were still friends. And so the story began to emerge, not just in talking to her, but in talking to all of the African-American elders in the community, which by the way, I ended up interviewing almost all of them and ended up interviewing about a hundred of Neris's descendants, almost all of Jack's living descendants, at least the ones that were in the Lynchburg area. And the story that emerged was 100% of, of love, honor, and respect. So that's what happened in the library. But the last thing she said before she left out, she said, hey, you know, in his book, that farm where Jack grew up as the orphan and where nearest was the, dist- the distiller, he, she said, you realize that's for sale. You should buy it. Now, mind you, this is not a 15 minute max conversation <laughs> in the library. <laughs> Of course, I didn't think a farm from the 19th century would still be intact, right? And and so she le- she takes a, a post-it note, and I don't know if you've ever seen a Southern map, but a Southern map is sort of like, go to the end of the road where there's a red pickup truck and make a left. Well, right. what happens if there's no red pickup truck? You still make a left. It's like, you know, one of those. So she drew out this map and she had like little cute, this church is here, this kind of on a post-it note. My husband and I tried to follow the Southern map. It didn't work, but we get back to the house that we had rented and my phone rings. And it's this woman with the deepest Southern accent I had ever heard (laughs) up until that point. I've heard some deeper ones since. (laughs) And she, she says, this is Sherry Moore. You met my cousin at the library. So now I know, you know, this is another one of Jack's family. The second person we're talking to in this town is Jack's, (laughs) also Jack's family. And she said, my cousin was leaving for a funeral and she wanted to make sure that I got you all whatever you needed while you were here. And she said, you want to go see the Dan Call Farm? I'm a realtor. I can take you. Do you want to go tomorrow? So this is how all this begins. So I will jump forward and kind of skip a few things, but we ended up placing an offer and and it was accepted right away on the 313 acre property where the original distillery number seven sat, where the home where Jack grew up not only was still fully intact, but the second floor where his bedroom was, was a time capsule because the current owners were afraid that their daughter would fall out of the upstairs balcony. And so they closed off the second floor completely. And so the girl's bedroom from from when it was Dan Call's house, the girl's bedroom upstairs, the wallpaper was hand painted. It was you know, coming undone on certain parts of the wall and every place it came undone, you saw the newspaper that was used for insulation that showed that everything there was from October 10th and October 11th, October 10th and October 11th, 1898. It was the last time it had been wallpapered. And then in the boys' room, which was across the way, someone had been barrel stencil practicing on the walls. So you saw Dan call, DH call sour mash corn whiskey all over Jack's room. Now, if you look at legal records, there was never a DH call sour mash corn whiskey. And so it's really, it it really let us know, okay, this even predates 
when they started doing records. Wow. And so we bought the, ha- we bought the farm. <laughs> hey guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's time to get more in 2024. I know for me, one of my goals is to feel really strong this year. And honestly, so far, so good because that's where 310 Nutrition comes in. It's helping me and our listeners in the new year with protein and super rich food products with so many options and flavors. Right now I have the chocolate bliss and caramel sundae and they are both so (laughs) delicious. I have to hide them from my husband so that he doesn't steal them too. They're a triplex protein blend, plant-based proteins that include pea, brown rice, and pumpkin that leave me feeling full. 310 Nutrition also has a hydrate electrolyte drink mix My favorite is the peach mango flavor. So not only am I hydrating and drinking water, I have an electrolyte blend, vitamin blend, and it's sugar-free. With one stick of hydrate mix into 16 ounces of water, and it can provide the same amount of hydration equal to drinking two to three bottles of water. Thank you. This way I can keep my resolution, keep feeling strong, have greater focus, feel refreshed, and maintain my hydration without having to drink as much. One of my favorite refreshing water enhancers they have is the lemonade flavor. It gives me energy. This one's also sugar-free. It's used with real lemons and it's pH balanced. And this also offers the same hydration as two to three bottles of water. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code CHALLENGED and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 for your first order. 
with so many sample packs, new products. It's really fun and easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products that you know you'll use and will help you keep your resolution. So go to 310nutrition.com and use the code CHALLENGED right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310-nutrition.com and use code CHALLENGED. It's all the good stuff your body needs in flavors you crave. So be healthier effortlessly. And we're back. But what's so wild is that we're all storytellers on this in this conversation. And so the idea of finding the story that you're captivated by saying, you know what, let's go and explore that you're you're, you know, New York Times bestselling author. I completely understand going to Lynchburg and wanting to do your research. But it's like it's like it was beyond a calling. It was like, hey, you're here now. This is yours. This is what is meant to be in your hands. Like it, you could not escape this part. I mean, there were so many things that have happened. And one of which was the the person who I mentioned to you, Sherry Moore, as it turned out, she was a realtor because her longtime career in the family business at Jack Daniel Distillery, she had retired after 31 years. She was the head of whiskey operations for them. So you have this person who, after watching me do research for a couple of months there in Lynchburg, comes to me and says, hey, I know you're writing a book, but if you ever decide to actually do a bottle to honor nearest with a bottle, I'll come out of retirement to make sure you get it right. That's how, by the way, we start moving the whiskey side down the field. But you also have to remember, you have this farm, this historical farm where Literally, the stone and the original grist mill was still intact, or at least the millstones that Nearest and his boys would have used to mash the grain, to grind the grain for Jack's whiskey, was still on this property. It's the original, come on, distillery number seven. There's only been one known master distiller of distillery number seven, and that is Nearest Green. And so you have all this incredible history that farm was on the market for 15 months before we arrived. Like, how does that even happen? Talk about a gym. It's, it's like if you take a massive diamond and put it in the center of town and just say, hey, whoever wants it first, right. just come grab it. And, and so there are so many things that happened that were very clear that this story was meant to be told and for reasons that I still do not understand, and when I get to heaven and I have a drink with Nearest and Jack, I will probably get the answer at that time. At least that's my hope. But why they chose me to tell this story, I can't tell you. But the only thing I hope I do is, is do it justice. And and the way that I do it justice is by telling the story in a truthful way that is unsensationalized. And not only did she offer to come out of retirement, but you had actually said, you know what? No, that's not something that we want to do right now initially. And then you had this incredible moment in a church with nearest, nearest and dearest family. And that changed your mind, correct? Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, is that we had looked into, OK, what does it look like if we did a whiskey? If we get there and this story is true, what does that look like? We had done the initial research and what we had concluded was it would be way too expensive to put out a whiskey brand right. I mean, it's people think that 
you just put a little bit of money together and then you create a whiskey brand and it's successful. No, you put a little bit of money together, you create a whiskey brand and it fails. That's, <laughs> that is how that happens. And so I'm not in the business of failure. And, but I also, up until that point, all of my investments, with the exception of maybe two early on in my career, I had used my own money. And so the idea of having to go ask other people for money, I hadn't done that in so long. I just didn't want to. And so we would talk, my husband and I would talk about it back and forth and it just, we weren't sure. And then I went and I interviewed, I think there were probably about, I don't know, 50 of Neris's descendants, 40, 50 of his descendants at this church that I went to go meet with them and interview. And I actually did it all. I brought a camera crew with me. And I shared with them everything that I knew about nearest up until that point. And they shared with me everything they knew about their ancestor up until that point. And I got to the very end of it. And I said, what is the one thing that you believe should happen to, or that you want to see happen to honor your ancestor? And they said, we believe his, his name should be on his own bottle. And so I left, my husband and I left out of there while still in the church parking lot, which the irony of this is, is it was a church of Christ. Right. And to know a church of Christ is to know they don't want this particular conversation happening in their parking lot. But, but I, I, I called Sherry and it was late at night and she picked up and I said, if you are willing to come out of retirement, I will raise the money. And after that, it was off to the races. Now, were you a big whiskey drinker? I mean, it's also you're entering a world of which I'm assuming is predominantly men and then double down on that predominantly white men, you know, in, in the whiskey world. Where do you even begin as far as, you know, what does that world even look like? Two parts there. The the first in terms of of coming into the industry, we sort of came in like a wrecking ball. Like we gave no warning. I've never been one to care about what the color or gender was of those around me. I've always been perfectly happy to walk into a room full of old white men. And the reason why I'm happy to do it is because they're all going to remember me. Now I'm not going to remember 99% of them, (laughs) but they are all going to remember me. So I love a situation in which I go in and I have to do very little work. <laughs> and so, so that doesn't, you know, that didn't concern me at all. But to answer your question, Candace, my drink of choice at the time was whiskey and not or specifically bourbon and not just bourbon, but bourbon at barrel strength. That was my drink of choice. I drank it neat. I still do to this day. And so for me, I knew what great whiskey tasted like. I knew what great bourbon tasted like. So I knew what our benchmark was. And if we were going to put out a product in the name of the first known African-American master distiller, and it would be a tribute to him and his family, we had to make sure that the whiskey was as good, if not better than everything that I usually drank. And I drank the best. And that's where Sherry Moore came in. And I know at one point you had your husband Keith pose as the CEO of your company, correct? You have because... done so much research. This is so much fun. I but love this. But this is such a good part of the story because your entire team's female and you're trying to get everything in place with your distribution and everything. And you realize that you aren't getting called back. Yeah. Yeah. So we, it, it's interesting because when you're separate from one another and you're all doing work, you don't really put it all together. But my head of sales, uh, who is now my chief business office, Catherine Jerkins and Sherry Moore, 
they were reaching in to people in the industry that we needed. So Cherry was the first woman to be over a major whiskey production in America ever. I mean, she entered the business in the 70s. And so even what she did was unheard of at that time. And now she's coming back in and trying to do it all over again. But she would reach out to people. And we're talking about basic stuff that we need here. Bottles, corks, uh, like the whiskey, right? We had to find the best sourced whiskey. These are things that we needed if this was going to actually happen. And then you had Catherine, who was reaching into distributors, into anything that was on the sales and marketing side. And we're all having a conversation one day and realizing we're not really getting anywhere. And so I asked them, you know, what's the problem? And one said, well, nobody's calling you back. And the other one was like, huh, no one's calling me back. And so I asked them, send me an email of everyone you've been trying to reach for the last, and this had been going on for weeks. Send me the, the, the names and the numbers and just a synopsis of what it is that you needed from each of those. And then I'm going to test this out because I knew that this was a male dominated, like by close to a hundred percent really, and white male dominated, that they may just not have been taking us seriously when we were picking up the phones and making, and making the calls. And so I sent it over to my husband and he's like, you want me to do what? And it was funny because he was like, this is like Remington Steel. <laughs> but he did. He reached into all of those people. And the, the crazy part is, is in every single instance, he either got through immediately or they called him back by the end of the day. And by the end of the phone call, they are talking about, hey, do you golf? Do you drink beer? You want to meet at a bar? And, and, and so it was a good old boys club, right? That was welcoming of the guys. But here's the thing. And I think that this is where a lot of people miss. I am a true believer that everything happens the way it's supposed to happen. It happens for a reason. So not for two seconds was I ever bothered by this. The way I looked at it is, is in order for us to pull this off, we were going to have to fly completely under the radar until the day we launched. And if having him make these calls was going to allow us to focus more attention on how we would come out, the PR strategy, the marketing, the sales, because nobody on the operations side was willing to talk to us. <laughs> and so he sort of became another arm of the team. And, and so it was immensely helpful to us in, in how we launched. And, and so it never bothered me, but, but yes, it, it was probably two plus years, close to three years into this before people realized I was the CEO. Well, and not only did Uncle Nearest Whiskey launch, but it became one of the fastest growing whiskey brands in the world and one of the most awarded American whiskeys. Right. So let me clear, let me clarify both of those. The most, the fastest growing American whiskey in the world, hard stop, and the most awarded American whiskey or bourbon of 2019, 2020, 2021. So basically you are helping everyone get through the pandemic one <laughs> bottle of whiskey at a time. So thank one really you. good tasting bottle one of whiskey really, at a time. Really, really delicious yeah. bottle of whiskey at a time. <laughs> Was there a moment, I'm sure there were many moments, but is there one that means the that sticks out to you once the whiskey has been out that where you celebrated or, or connected with the descendants of both nearest family and also the Jack Daniels family uh, of just like, wow, it, it's here. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think we were in this for about a year and a half 
And one of Neris's descendants, I always wanted this brand to come through their bloodline, but none of them wanted to get involved. <laughs> and in part, because you had a lot of Church of Christ that they are frowned upon from for this notion of, of being in or working in the, the whiskey business. Now they all drink, but they don't do it around their Church of Christ <laughs> And so the notion of being in the industry just wasn't appealing. And then people, you know, on the outside, they look at the whiskey business as being very glamorous. It is not. It is not a glamorous business. The work is, in fact, hard labor. When you are, well, whether operation side or even the sales side, they pound the pavement every day. So it's not this glamorous, light touch kind of work. And so the young people of, of Nearest's family who we decided from even before the bottle ever hit the market that we would be paying for all of the uh, young people to go to college. So it didn't matter where in this country or the world for that matter, they wanted to go to get their bachelor's or their master's. We really tried to push several into finishing, to doing their PhDs. They're, we're paying for all of them to go wherever they want to go on a full ride. And they're looking at us going, I'm sorry, you want us to come back and work in the distillery business? Like it just... For them, it's like, yeah, we think it's great. This is our ancestor, but that's not, if you're going to pay for us to go to school, we're going to be doctors and lawyers. And we're, I mean, this is not where we're headed. <laughs> and so I couldn't get anybody to, to, from this family to work in the business. And then finally, there was one, Victoria Edie Butler, who had been a, uh, what was her role? She oversaw at the Department of Justice in Nashville. She oversaw the analysts. And so, I mean, the people who were literally doing the murder investigations, like she was overseeing those analysts and she started very young, right out of college. And so she could retire at any time. So she and I were having a conversation. And if you were to meet her, she is, she is not young but you would think she is young. The amount of energy she has is like she and I are the same age and she's, you know, I don't know, 18 years older than me or something. She's 60. She, uh, she just turned 60, but she has so much energy. And she and I had the conversation and, and she said, look, I could take early retirement at any time. So you find a position for me, I'm there. And what has been, I think the most, one of the most rewarding things I have experienced is watching her the first time blend our whiskey and realizing it was in her blood because from the very moment she began, she knew the exact flavor notes she wanted. She knew the exact nose. I sat there and it was supposed to be sort of me. There was like a whole group of us. And she wrote her notes of which barrels she wanted to include in her blend and which she didn't. And she was real clear about it. And when that release went into the market and began taking gold and double gold medals, one after the next, after the next, after the next, that was one of the most amazing moments. And then right after that, this, this past year, she won Master Blender of the Year, not by one spirits publication, but three. And what a way to honor his legacy, truly. And not only that, you guys bought a four acre parcel in the center of town that you turned into a memorial park. You also have the nearest green legacy scholarship. We have a lot of younger listeners on this podcast. Can you talk to us about that scholarship? Is this something that they 
qualify for if they're interested? The answer is no, unless you are in Nearest's bloodline. <laughs> and so this, the legacy scholarship is essentially, we wanted to wanted to make sure that this lineage, the, the legacy of excellence that Nearest and his boys and his grandchildren all exhibited when they were alive, that that continues to live on through the current generation and every generation after. And the best way to do that, we believe, is to make sure that they all had access to the best education there was that's out there. And so every single semester, whichever of Neris's uh, descendants are college age, they are in college and it's being paid for by us. They only have two requirements that they must meet. One is, is they must maintain a GPA of 3.0 or higher. If I'm going to pay for you to go to school, you will do the work. That's the one thing. And then the second thing is, is that when they become successful in their own lives, that they must go back and pay for someone less fortunate to go through college and to continue to do it in the name of near screen. Those are their only two requirements. I have chills. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I get to live it. Can you <laughs> no, imagine? I mean, truly. Wow. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And we're back. Well, also taking time to build this company, you realize how many people it takes to have. It's not just about making the whiskey, but it's also every single angle of having this company and, and who you hire is very important. And I love hearing the way that you talked about wanting to build this company and make sure that there is BIPOC representation within the company and how you've had to build that pipeline yourself. Do you mind sharing with our listeners a little bit about that for anyone that owns their own company and have had to uh, build their own pipeline as well? Yeah, you know, it was really a challenge uh, deciding I, I wanted to have a, a company that reflected America. That means not just BIPOC, that's in reference. I mean, America is 50-50 women right, and men, right? And then it, you're talking about the LGBTQI community. And when I looked around our industry, 
the numbers were so imbalanced in terms of who was in. I mean, you could find white men nine out of 10, but then everyone else was kind of missing. And when I began hiring, every single resume we would get in was from someone who was white, like every single one, if they actually were qualified for the job and by qualified, I wasn't limiting it to people with experience in spirit. I would take them from experience. If you're sales and you've done sales anywhere in the world, (laughs) that to me qualified, right? And so when I, and I, I set the bar where you didn't have to have a college degree, because I know a lot of people that are, especially African-Americans, we go straight from school into working. And, and so we don't have that traditional path to the workforce. And so there was, I, I made sure that the requirements were such that I could attract as many women and people of color as possible. And I still wasn't attracting any. And so I looked at it and, and my, my chief business officer, she was like, we are in trouble. If we, as a company that is run by all women, like every leadership position is a woman and it's owned and founded by a black woman. If we're not getting resumes from people of color and women, can you imagine what's happening in the rest of the industry? And so we literally began plucking people out of bars. I'm not kidding you. We literally began like we would go to bars and experience the service of a mixologist that was behind the bar and say, hey, you want to be in this industry? That's how we began building this team. When I look at where we started, a lot of the people, almost every single person of color had no experience for what we brought them into. We had to train them. And so, yes, it's a lot of work. Yes, it's really difficult. But what we found is Though that first sort of group of people that we brought in who didn't have the experience, who we had to put a lot of effort and time into to bring them up to being qualified, if you would, for the position we had already put them in, what ended up happening is by having them, then when it was time for the next position, it's like, okay, guys, we need you to go find people that are qualified for these positions. And so we began doing uh, monetary rewards for those who were able to bring people in. So like our director of marketing came directly from another African-American who we had working for us, Gideon. And this is someone who was not on our radar at all. And he's like, fine, you got to talk to her. And I talked to her and then my, my CBO talked to her and we're like, done, she's perfect. But she's not necessarily anybody we would have found if like when the resumes came in, hers did come in. But compared to the other resumes of those who were white and male, she lacked the same type of experience. But because someone who was African-American in our company said, I know it's, you know, she's only been doing this a few years, but have the conversation, give her a shot because what's on paper doesn't match who I know. And that's what we did. And it was absolutely right. I'm speechless because it's so incredibly inspiring, this this story from the beginning to where it is now. And I really want to note the historical preservation of Nearest and his legacy and how important it is to you. I know you have the Tennessee Whiskey Museum, which includes a lot of artifacts Nearest used while distilling. You also collected over 10,000 documents and artifacts related to Daniel and Green, and they have been donated to the National Museum of African-American History and Culture in Washington. 
Um, are these still up? Is this something that we and our listeners can go visit and pay tribute to? So there's two things. Number one, this, I think that particular piece is actually quite okay. old because I offered to Understood. the museum and they have this, they have so many artifacts sitting in a basement that even those artifacts that are there, like hundreds of thousands may never see the light of day in our generation. And for me, the idea of not knowing, I couldn't get them to commit to when his exhibit would go up and if it would be permanent. And so instead we bought a 323 acre farm and built out a, now I think we've spent close to $30 million, but it's of a $50 million build out. And that is where these artifacts now reside. And that is where the legacy of Nearest Green will forever be cemented. In Shelbyville, Tennessee, you come to the Nearest Green Distillery and you are very clear when you walk through those doors that we're about more than whiskey. Are you still in California or did you end up, you're in, are you in Tennessee full time now? Oh gosh, I never went back. <laughs> it's the most absurd thing. I came for four days and bought a 313 acre farm in Lynchburg, right? <laughs> so then it was about restoring the property. And, and the thing about a small town is they are not going to give information to an outsider. Right. So I had to become an insider in order for them to help put this story together. So I think after that trip, I left to basically go get clothes from California and never actually returned except to get more clothes. And so we, we officially moved here in 2017. Our home is down the street from the distillery in Shelbyville. Wow. And then we bought Jack's sister's house in Lynchburg. So we had that. We turned it into a bed and breakfast. <gasps> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Candace, you're in Tennessee. You have to go stay at the bed and breakfast. I know. I got it on my list of things to do this year. I'm in Nashville. I, I made the move from California oh. to Nashville uh, last uh, fall. Oh, you got to stay at the Tolly house. It is absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> done. Done and done. Uh, I mean, Fawn, you are surrounded. I mean, by, uh, again, it's kind of at the root of what where we started of, of telling the story. And, you know, your father, who I know that we're, we haven't been able to talk about very much, but Frank Wilson was a uh, songwriter and Motown songwriter and producer, big, very big storyteller. I was just playing some of his music before we jumped on the mic. Uh, little <laughs> Diana for the morning. Um, oh. And uh, and obviously you, again, you are an author and you've, you know, shared about, um, you know, how we can all strengthen our marriage and, and love stories and respect one another. And then obviously you were just so drawn to the story of Green and Daniel's but for your story, what is something within this whole experience that you kind of hold on to? Not necessarily a mantra, but something that you think that has stood out throughout this whole journey up to this point that uh, you didn't expect, whether it's about tenacity or whether it's about peace or whether about finding your joy or, or calling or just stumbling upon, you know, some of life's greatest surprises. You know, I think that for a lot of people, their greatest struggle is they go to work and they feel unfulfilled. They don't enjoy what it is that they do. And I think that the reason in part is because they separate their personal and their professional lives. I do not. I lead with love and I lead with excellence and I do so in both every part of my of my life. And so if you, like we did our holiday parties and we did them regionally this year and in the Southern region, 
the our CBO said, hey, I want everyone to go around. It wasn't too long after Thanksgiving. And she said, and just kind of say what you're grateful for. And each of our, our team members stood up and said something and even their spouses. And one of our team members said, you know, I actually, I left home when I was 15. I've been on my own since then. I never knew what love was until I came to work for this company. And if you were to have listened to everyone at every holiday party talking about what this company means to them, even if you look at my team on, on social media, it's never about the whiskey. I mean, the whiskey is top notch. That's a given. We let the critics talk about that. But if you look at what my team writes, it's all about love. Love literally permeates every aspect of our company. And so our team members who work for us, they feel as though this is such an intricate part of their personal life as well. And and so I think the biggest aha moment for me, if you will, or, or the biggest life change for me was learning how to create a company in which the environment was as loving, accepting, and full of grace as my own household. And we've done that. And I'm really proud. You know, of it. it's so obvious that you've done that. Even just through the mic, having this conversation within the first few seconds, you you radiate love. And I am so grateful that you came to share this with us. I know Candace is too. This has been a phenomenal conversation, Fawn. Thank you for sharing the story and continuing the legacy. Thank you. I can tell you, I have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interviews. And this has been one of my absolute favorite because you actually took the time to learn about the story before we did this. And I'm really grateful for that. Thank you. Fun. That means a lot. It Thank does. You. And now we got to drink the whiskey. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> or keep drinking yes. the whiskey. I will yes. keep drinking my whiskey. Um, just talk about family and, and, and love and togetherness. And usually that is, it's like, hey girl, you want to go get a cocktail? Hey, or splitting a wine with a partner or a friend. You know, it's just, it, it is, it's, you know, it can bring so many people together in a beautiful way. Do you have a favorite toast? Do you have something that you say when you cheers? You know, no. <laughs> I We just, we literally just say cheers. I love it. <laughs> Done. Easy, easy. <laughs> Keeping it classic. I had to ask. (laughs) Well, I'm so excited to try Uncle Nearest. I can't wait. I'm going to get in the car right now and go buy my first bottle. So we'll keep you posted and let you know. I'm sure it is phenomenal. I can't wait. I'm excited for you to taste it. (laughs) Thank you, Fawn. Fawn, thank you so much. Big, big fan. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, now I'm just going to only drink independent distillery bottles like I I can't go back to anything else after that story it's funny it's you know I'm still like getting to know people here in Nashville and so obviously again being like a cocktail snob and an aspiring wine snob there's this great kind of like local wine and and, uh, spirits shop around here that I've gotten to know the owner and and some of the people that work there because everyone's super chatty you know that's the great thing about the south you go in and you know kind of what what Vaughn was saying, you go in to say hi to someone and you kind of get their whole life story and then the life story of like the community around you. And so it's been really fun to say, "Ooh, this bottle looks cool. Tell me about it. And and they they know the the region it's from or even, you know, a tequila, exactly the makers and, and the history behind each bottle. And so it's really kind of changed my perspective on wanting to appreciate the story behind the spirit or or the or the wine that I'm drinking in a whole new way. 
look, I think that we can all agree that the pandemic has maybe brought on various, you know, drinking habits. We've talked about this a little bit. No, (laughs) no way. There's no way. (laughs) Yes, of course. I agree 100% with that. (laughs) But you and Tanner are so good at sitting down for cocktail hour. I love hearing about you guys have cocktail hour. Obviously, I mean, Tanner makes incredible cocktails. I feel like the worst host anytime I ever have had you guys over because I'm always like, hi, it's so good to see you. Tanner, can you please make everybody cocktails because I will ruin them. <laughs> but he enjoys it too. It's something he loves to do. I think it's a labor of love and it's how he shows his love for his friends and family. But you know what? I'm realizing as great as our cocktails are, we don't necessarily take the time to understand what it is we're drinking. And that's what this conversation has brought to me. And I think you, Candice, today, and we'll, we'll continue to do this now. I am only going to seek out you know, now I'm in L.A. We don't have, you know, that personable experience when going to the grocery store to buy liquor. So I'm realizing I'm going to have to create it myself. But I'm excited to do that. And I just think it it enhances the experience as a whole. It's going to be fantastic. And of course, we have to try Uncle Nearest Whiskey now. You've tried it, right? Yeah, it's great. I mean, obviously, the accolades speak for itself. But I highly, highly recommend it. If you are 21 and older, let's specify yes. that. If <laughs> you are you 21 and older... There's our 121 and up stamp for the episode. Um, Guys, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned. We'll have an all new episode of Directionally Challenged waiting for you next week. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Producer, Melissa DeMonts. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with ACAST.